back. Hey, Brett, how's it going today? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the personal finance episode where we talk about all things related to personal finance and some fun facts about life. And usually my cheeseburger diet. And usually cheeseburgers sneak their own food in, really. We we do get really sidetracked with food. You know, we still promised people that we would make an episode about, like, our monthly grocery spending. And I think we should get that on the docket soon. Oh, good, because I'm going to the grocery store tomorrow. So that'd be perfect. All right, great. Um, but this week, we I actually created a Twitter recently. And... I would give my Twitter handle, but I don't remember off the top of my head. So you can find (laughs) it on the website. I linked it to moneyinthebankpodcast.com. But on it, I asked, like, what do people want to hear more about in 2019? Um, Because I know for me, like, I can talk about compound interest and investing and savings all day. But I was curious to kind of see. And there was a lot of feedback that we should talk more about debt. Um, debt payoff, what to do when you're in debt. And there's a lot of, even when we were actually just talking about starting this episode, Brett was like, oh, so are we going to approach it this way? And I was like, no, we're going to approach it this way. Um, so we can, there's a lot of content that we can put out surrounding debt if if this is what people are interested in hearing about. Right. I mean, that, there's just a lot of people affected by debt uh, more and more every day. Every kid that graduates from college basically is in a ton of debt. Everybody in medical school has a ton of debt. And right, that's a different, different approach, I guess. Um, but everybody that has a car loan, everybody that has a mortgage, right? It's just ev- well, every everybody in our industry is trying to get you to take their money and pay them interest. Right? Except us. <laughs> we make zero money. Um, but the other point I was actually going to bring up is people nearing retirement are in debt or they start going into debt in retirement, which to me, I'm like, what are you doing? But it's like you finally retire and now is your chance to like build the house you've always wanted or buy that Corvette you've always wanted. And people aren't really thinking about like this money needs to last me until I die. They're just like, well, I've worked really hard my whole life, so I deserve this Corvette. <laughs> and But like it's true that the, um, the debt Um, taken on by people going into retirement has been increasing. And that's a very scary thing for me because retirement income is not also increasing. We're not seeing like the same swing. Right. You're in a lose-lose scenario there. Right. Yeah, you got the Corvette, but eventually somebody's going to repo that Corvette because you're going to run out of money. Yeah. So um, here we are in a bunch of debt. Brett, you probably thought that I forgot about the trivia question. No, we're we're deep in it. But I did not. We're way past that. How much credit card debt does is the average balance in America? Now, I think this is important because this is like a average, which means it's not the median. So that would more accurately reflect of people who do have a balance, what is that amount? So the average is like, you know, I don't carry a credit card debt personally. I paid it off years ago. I haven't had more. And so somebody out there has a balance to compensate for me, right? Okay. So the median, the average is going to be way lower than the median. Correct. Would, would you, is what you would expect. So. Yes. And, and so I'm really trying to help you with these trivia questions <laughs> because you like always make it seem like I'm out to get you. What? I never struggle on any of these. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I would say... It's still probably in the several thousand dollar range. Yeah. So, what's your guess? Let's say, let's say five thousand dollars. Close, sixty-seven hundred dollars. <sighs> All right. So, not not that far off. Yeah, and o- it, of the people in debt, I would have gone way higher, right? If it wasn't including everybody else that doesn't have any debt. Right, and I think that's what's kind of crazy to think about is 
there's a lot of people that have paid off debt. And I know a lot of frugal people who they just don't take on debt. They never have. They never will. And so... But but that's still like a gross number, right? Like right. when coming down to it, I'm like, if you're looking at your monthly expenses, you just have like a 5000 a negative $5,000, you know, basically allocated to your, your life. Uh, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Absolutely. Anyway. People, people think it's like not a big deal anymore because it's the norm. Right. Absolutely. And I, I don't want to discredit the amount because... I think a lot of times we see these news articles of like so-and-so and $200,000 of credit card debt or, you know, another person that has $100,000 of credit card debt. And when they get to that point, it's like really un- really hard to manage that, right? Um, but, and so I think a lot of people do discredit and they're like, oh, well, I only have $10,000 of debt, so I'm doing pretty good. And um, I just want to point out that it should be at zero. Whenever you're in credit card debt, especially credit card debt, it's an emergency situation that you get your spending under control. Because if you don't and you just keep thinking this $10,000 balance is okay, that's how you end up someday down the road at the $100,000 of debt, right? Because you're like, all of a sudden, you know, you have an actual emergency situation and you don't have an emergency fund and your 10000 immediately jumps to 15000 Well, now it's hard to make the monthly payment and that interest is just compounding against you. Right. And before you know it, when you're paying 25% interest, that adds up really, really fast. Right. Of, of the common forms of debt, right? Credit card debt is probably the most dangerous outside of if you're a compulsive gambler and you got loan shark debt. Uh, you know, I would actually say payday advance debt. Now that's, that I've learned well, more about true. it. We talked it about that before. That's really terrifying. Okay. Um, but yeah, of, of the most common debt, credit card debt is very terrifying. And I was thinking common debt being like mortgage, auto loan, and credit card, and student loan. Yeah. And I think um, more and more I'm hearing some people have medical debt. So a lot of times Mm -hmm. if you go to the hospital and you can't pay the total amount, they will work out a payment plan with you, which I bring up because it's so much better to like go in and be like, just admit it. Just be like, I can't afford this $5,000 right now for whatever surgery I had. And the hospital, they hire people, they hire financial counselors to sit down with you and come up with a payment plan because then they get their money and you, you know, have a a plan you can manage and it's a win-win situation. So um, kind of like a sidetrack there, but if you find yourself in medical debt that is overwhelming, please do like look for those alternatives. Um, Okay. So now let's say we just take our average person, they're in debt, right? They have, we'll say, the the sweet, sweet four debts. So, so, mortgage, so yeah, there's, there's two auto. Di- there's two different kinds of people, though, right? So there's people that have, like, one line of debt, right, that maybe you just, just one item. That's a different approach than people that have multiple debt. So right. Let's, let's, so multiple first. Multiple first. Okay. Okay, so they have a mortgage, they have a car payment, they have student loan, and they have three different credit cards that they've maxed out, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is not an uncommon situation. So, well, what should you do if you find yourself in that situation? Step number one is to stop the bleeding. If you have that much debt, there it is very evident that you are living outside of your means, right? So if you're putting an extra $200 on your credit card every single month, Something's going on, right? So that's different from like an emergency situation where you couldn't come up with the $10,000 you needed for a new roof. If every month you're in the red and it's a repetitive thing, it's your habits. Right. So uh, you need to take a hard look at your expenses and think, you know, did can I afford this car payment? What You know, if your car payment is $500 and you're going negative 200 every month, if you just sold that and got a cheaper car you could clean up that deficit, right? Mm -hmm. 
So that's a hard step, though. Um, and I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit longer because that's really hard. That's the hardest step to take, right? I think the first step is always the hardest, but admitting that you can't afford the lifestyle you are living, if we could fix that single problem, then the debt industry would not, you know, they wouldn't know what to do because that's <laughs> that's the number one thing is people convince themselves that this is the only way to live life. Right. Or to just appear that you're like as good as everybody else that you see around you, right? It's like the Instagram phenomenon. You only see the good pictures that people post, but right. you don't see like how they got there or everything else in their life or all the other bad stuff, right? And same with looking at your neighbors. Like it looks like a good, happy family. And then you, all, of, all of a sudden they have like $200,000 in debt. And you're like, well, I need to like keep up with them and I need to hire the lawn service and make everything look great and have the sprinkler system put in and, you know, keep the house up to date and hire the maid service and all this other stuff just to like keep up with like your your community and then everybody is worse off for that yeah and um i think that's like super common to do right but i encourage people actually if you are looking for a good book to read read the millionaire next door because they do a deep dive into this and like it's always the people who you would least expect it that have the highest net worth so being looking rich or acting rich and being wealthy are two very different things and actually building wealth for yourself typically means that you're not the one flaunting your, you know, brand new Mercedes or, you know, getting the sprinkler system installed. You're out there, you know, just letting it rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the most wealthy friend that I have wears Converse and shorts every day. Right? Like, yeah. Um, but I, so I will actually say Brett and I, when we used to live in a very nice neighborhood that we were out of our league in and a lot of people had lawn services and, and sprinkler systems and we did not. But I, I want to bring this up because it is very hard to kill grass. Like, we never <laughs> watered it. It would turn brown. It would look, like, terrible. We were the disgrace of the neighborhood. Um, and then it would rain and be fine But then it would again. rain and it would yeah. be fine. Like, so, like, whatever. And Michigan State University, actually, where we used to live, put out things, like, saying, don't water your grass. Like, it's terrible for the environment. And, like, you can't kill it. So it's fine. Right. And don't pick up your leaves. It's terrible for the environment. You should be mulching your leaves. Yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. So. Which saves money, too. All right, so stop the bleeding. Um, how do we stop the bleeding? Well, you have to start recording expenses. So Brett and I have talked about this website a lot before, but mint.com is a great place. Um, there's a lot of other ones out there, personal capital. You need a budget, but I'm pretty sure most of you need a budget you have to pay for now. Um, Dave Ramsey has an app, and I'm pretty sure you also have to pay for it. So I don't typically recommend things that you have to pay for. I don't use them myself because I don't believe in subscription services unless it's like super, super worth it. So mint.com is free and we've, I've been using it for a decade now. Right. But I mean, you could do this with a pad and paper. Right? You could do it with a pad and paper the or you could do it with Excel. The most important thing is just getting, getting a list of all of your current debt, seeing that written down on paper, and then you can attack that plan, right? One piece at yep. a time. What is the total? How much are you paying at each one? What is the interest rate on each one yes. of those? And then you can make a, then you can have a plan that attacks you know, the yeah. worst ones first. Um, and I guess I was taking it one step further and talking about the plan to attack it. You have to record not just your debt, but also everything else you're spending money on. Right. So how and much are you spending on going out to eat, restaurants, all of that. And that's where Mint for me was super valuable because you, it does can, it automatically. you can do this with a pad and paper. You can do this in Excel, but Mint will pull all of that in automatically and categorize it for you. Now, sometimes it doesn't get the cater 
categories quite it's like, right. It's like ninety percent. Um, but yeah. it's like good enough, especially if you're starting out, that you can very quickly see like where all of your money is going. Right. Like I, I spent the you know I spent two hundred dollars on restaurants this last week or something, right? Something like that, or you know, categorized by like entertainment or gas or right? yeah. other. You know, it's all it's all right out there. It gives you like nice charts and graphs and yeah, and it was the the best way for us to get started with this. I think what's really helpful is it gives you like a pie chart at the end of the month for your, all of your spending. And I like to look at that because, you know, for me, my priorities in life are saving money for retirement, um, mostly that one, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, having fun or going on vacation. But every month I can look and see, like, is my spending aligned with my core values? Or did I spend like way too much in a certain area that's not a priority to me? But it's becoming a priority, you know? So mm-hmm. I always like reviewing those, and it's a good visual to see everything. And this is this is really important to do this, though, because this is how you can start cutting things out. And I think what you kind of need to do is get to the point where you approach it. And there's two ways to go here, actually. So I'll say both, because different people are motivated differently. So some people, it's easier to say, okay... I want to reduce this category just by $10 this month. Because if you do that long enough, it really builds up. And for other people, it's easier to go cold turkey and say, okay, I'm going to go an entire month and not spend a single penny going out to eat and see how it goes. And then next month, I can adjust and say, no, I really want to go out, you know, twice this month or something. Right. Um, So there's two ways to go there. You can either say, right now we're going out to eat three times a week. We're just going to cut back to two times a week and see how that goes. Or you can go cold turkey and then see how much you missed it. Uh, Brett and I probably fall into the latter camp a lot more often where we're a little bit more extreme. We do both, though. We do both, for sure. Yeah. Um, But I know, like, when we first started dating, one of the first, like, challenges we did together was a no-spend month where we, like... We were like, we're just going to take a whole month month, and we're going to spend as little as possible. Right. And if I think sometimes it's good to, like, do these challenges for yourself. But at the same time, if you're, like, brand new to this and this all sounds overwhelming, then literally just say, okay, I'm going to spend $5 less going out to eat this week. Mm-hmm. You know, start somewhere. And, and this is an exercise for everybody, right, whether it's debt or not debt. But it's extra important for people that do carry a debt balance. Yeah. And I mean, I I really just want to emphasize that if you're in any kind of debt, you should be thinking of it as, well, not any kind of debt. I take that back. Credit card debt. You should be thinking of it as, this is an emergency. I need to get this paid off. Like, it's not something where you can, like, keep spending the way you are. You have to figure it out. And if that means, like, sacrificing luxuries, like going out to eat or, you know, going to the spa or anything like that, then you need to cut those out completely until your debt's paid off. Um, Okay, so what's something else you can do? So if you have credit card debt or student loan debt, I'm going to talk about these two first, and then we'll kind of get to the other ones. You could consolidate your debt as well. So in the example I mentioned, I said, okay, you have three credit cards. They probably all have different interests. They probably all carry different balances. And depending on your credit score and everything like that, um, you can go to your credit union or there's different um, websites that, that do this as well. I know SoFi.com is one that does it for student loans. Um, but you can you know, approach your credit union and say, hey, 
can I, you know, roll this into a personal loan or transfer it to a credit card that maybe has a lower interest rate or maybe it does like a 0% interest for the first six months. And by just doing that, you can save yourself, like, that means that when you're making that payment of 100 or $200 a month, instead of that all just going to interest and you're not actually chipping away at the balance, you're able to reduce the balance of your debt. Right. So I have three credit cards, one's at 12%, one's at 20%, one's at you know 18%. And I carry a balance of $2,000, $3,000, and $1,000, right? So I'm at the average of 6000 whatever. And so it's a an appropriate strategy for me to go to my credit union or bank or whatever, get a different loan that allows me to pay off all the balance on all of those credit cards, all $6,000 at one time, because the interest rate on the money that I'm borrowing from that credit union or bank is way lower than the interest rate I'm paying on the credit cards. Well, and you have to be careful because credit card is actually uncollateralized debt. So um, collateralized basically means like a mortgage loan where your house backs it up, right? Okay. But credit cards there's nothing that's backing that loan up. So if you can't afford it someday, if you default on it forever, the credit card company is screwed, right? They don't have yeah. anything they can come repossess. They can't repossess you as a person. So mm-hmm. um, so some banks won't issue a personal loan if you have a lot of credit card debt because they're like, this is already too risky. You've already burnt these bridges. But if you go to these banks and you say, I have this credit card debt, you know, can I get a different credit card or a different type of loan? A lot of them will work with you, right? They have people who work there that are like, here are your options. Now, it's a little bit hard on this podcast to say, these are all of your options because it varies wildly based on what your credit card balances are, based on what your credit score is, based on what, yeah, who your bank is. If you have access to, you know, credit unions, there's a slew of things out there. But I know that's also why websites like Prosper and there was another one, um, but they were Lending Tree or something. Mm-hmm. It was basically websites where investors, anybody could do it. Anybody could be an investor, and they would say, "Okay, I'm gonna put a thousand dollars into the pot," and then they would see reports of people coming to the website saying, "I have." this much in credit card debt that I'm looking to consolidate. And people were basically backing each other's loans and offering a lower interest rate. So there's a lot of unique solutions out there, but um, I just wanted to pitch it as like, that is totally an option to consolidate your debt. And the second one I want to talk about this for is student loan debt, because this is something that my student loan debt interest was 6.8%. And then they lowered it for a while after I got my loans and I was a little bitter about it, you know, and now it's back up to 6.8% um, or higher. I I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's over 6% again. And that's to the point where, you know, we get the question a lot of like, should we invest or should we pay down debt? Well, if you're 7% or higher, it's a no-brainer that you should pay off your debt. Right. 6% or higher, honestly, I would still do it. Once you get under 6%, you know, 4 to 6%, you could really go either way. Um, and then four and a half percent and under, I would probably just say, you know, p- keep the debt and invest instead. Right. But um, does it matter in that scenario whether I have a variable interest rate or a fixed interest rate? Absolutely. Yeah. If you have a variable interest rate and you have like five years of a fixed interest rate, then you should aim to pay it off in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times variable interest rates means they are going to raise it. Right. Um, so, so there's a lot more risk attached to the variable interest rates. So if it's like 
four to six percent now and it's kind of a wash right then i'm still probably going to go after the debt yeah because just to eliminate that risk and i also want to bring up the point that like i'm somebody who i understand the math behind it and really if you're if your interest rate on debt is under four percent you should probably not pay it off early but if it's like you know some people will say even if it's you know anything under seven percent you shouldn't pay off early and i can go either way because the math sure it checks out that investing in the long run will probably be better but honestly the sometimes it is a little bit emotional and if you're willing to like cut back more in life to make more progress on your debt than you would if you were just saving it, then it's absolutely worth it to like trick yourself because you're still saving. You're coming out ahead in the long run. Right. And I look at it as like, it makes me more powerful, right? I have more flexibility in my life versus like a very minimal increase that I would make from investing that at that, at that rate. If it's basically a wash, then I'm going to take more power into my life, right? I can reduce my debt. Then I have more options later. And then, you know, I can do whatever I want. Okay. At that point. Yep, exactly. And then I realized we got completely derailed talking from the original student loan debt point that I was making. So right. let's be- let's rewind. Um, okay, so I was saying my student loan debt was at 6.8%. Well, when you have interest that, that is even that high on balances that are much higher, I mean, my student loan debt was well over the 6,700 we quoted, quoted, right? And I think most people's is. You feel so defeated. I remember making my first payment and being like, I looked at it. I looked at how much of my payment went to interest versus principal. And I was like, that did nothing. Like, holy Hmm. shit, that did nothing. And so this is where, like, even if you can come up with an extra $50, that all goes to the balance. So, like, it becomes so powerful because, I mean, depending on what your balance is, you could essentially, just by upping it 50 bucks, be making double payments because that's how much is going to interest, right? Right. So... If you're if you have student loan, I typically recommend getting rid of it. Um, even you know this would be something that even if the interest rate was a little bit lower, I'd be like, ah, I just want it gone. And the the difference is again, it's not a collateralized loan. So if something happens to me, if I lose my ability to make money, I can't just sell my house or sell my car and get rid of the debt. I can't like I can't return my diploma. I think every <laughs> millennial checked. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for thanks for the useless piece of paper for most people, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but the other point I wanted to bring up here is student loans are a really good one to look into consolidating or refinancing because, like I mentioned, SoFi, you can hop on, put in your information, and they will very quickly, like, turn it around and say, hey, yeah, like, we can get you 3% instead of 6.8%. Right, so, yeah, take advantage of those services, right, and, and just... What you have now doesn't mean that's what you have to have tomorrow, right? There's, exactly. Yeah, there's options to, to trade that around with other with other vendors and things like that. Now, the caveat. Are you ready for the caveat? I'm sure there's lots. But yeah. <laughs> if you are angling for public loan forgiveness, you should not refinance your debt. Because if you do, if you take a, a direct loan that qualified and you refinance it to like a private bank it will remove you from the program. And that's the that's the 10 year, like I work for some government service or whatever, and then my loans are forgiven, right? The loan forgiveness program. Yes, and we talked about this in the past and how difficult it can be to qualify and you have to really do your due diligence and make sure you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's. And so there's a lot of caveats there that you know we won't get back into, but um, I just wanted to bring that up if you're somebody that's like, oh, I have student loan debt, but if you're on that program, don't refinance it if you're if you are eligible 
yeah. so far. Because it, it, you're automatically disqualified, right? Right. So you said, okay. Yep. Okay, so, and then outside of that, the other thing I wanted to mention with that is, let's say you have those four that we mentioned in the very beginning, and you're like, yep, I'm ready to get out. There's a lot of conflicting advice out there. Some people tell you to focus on the lowest balance first and pay that off. So you basically take all your debt, you line it up. So, you know, if you had $1,000 on one card, 2000 on another, and 3000 on another, you'd work on paying off the 1000 then you'd roll that into the 2000 and then the 3000 until it's all paid off. Um, that is one strategy. There is kind of emotional logic that goes into that of like you feel like you're making progress so you keep going Mm -hmm. um i actually recommend a slightly different approach because in that example i just suggested if the thousand dollars has 12 percent interest and the three thousand dollars has 25 percent interest you should really focus on paying down the three thousand dollars first right that that's my approach also right because that's where you're bleeding that's that's the biggest wound you have right yeah that's the one you want to fix first so you don't bleed dry yeah exactly (laughs) um yeah like if you're trying to stop the bleeding like that's that's the one to go to first right and so it might feel a little bit less rewarding at first because it's taking you longer to make progress. But at the same time, once you get that one crushed, like you're really gonna be blazing trails for Mm -hmm. all the other debt you have, right? So, I mean, you could think about it that way too, of like, once I get that over that first hurdle, it's gonna be an easy race to win. Instead of like getting over that first hurdle and then you're like, oh gosh, I still have all this debt looming. And because I was only paying the minimums, the interest has ballooned it. You know, like there's a lot of negative things that could happen by letting that more expensive debt balloon. So I would focus on the highest interest rate first is always my approach. And so typically that's going to mean prioritizing credit cards over student loans. And then um, the other two we talked about were auto loans and mortgage loans. Mm -hmm. So Auto loans, I actually want to do a whole podcast episode about because I was helping my friend recently who was buying a car and he was asking me questions and it was probably like a week of him asking me questions and I was like, wow, all this stuff that I just like know is stuff that a lot of people are really confused about. So uh, that definitely warrants its own episode. But typically those are going to be higher interest rates than your mortgage, but lower than credit cards, Um, potentially equal or around the same ballpark as student loans. The difference is, again, they are collateralized. So you could always sell your car and then not have that anymore. Where you can't do that is if you're underwater on your car. And if you are underwater on your car, which means you owe more than the car is worth, I recommend paying that down as fast as possible because it's basically a bomb that is about to go off. Right. You, if, if anything happens to that vehicle, you're just totally out of luck, right? Well, not totally. So now you get the awesome salesman that's like, well, I can help you, little girl. <laughs> and then he he rolls whatever you owed left on that car onto your new car. So, like, I even heard of an example of somebody who still owed almost $10,000 on a car, and they just, like, rolled it into the new loan, like, no big deal. Well, now you're underwater from day one because you just paid $10,000 more for that new car than you should have. Right. And so obviously you can see how that could be a big problem. So if you're underwater in a car, I recommend making more payments. I was somebody who made the mistake of buying a new car out of college, and then I paid it off as fast as possible because cars depreciate very quickly. So it's not hard to become underwater on a car, especially now they're offering, back in the day, it was like you got a three or four year car loan. That was like the norm. 
Now they're offering up to eight to ten years on a car loan. Wow. Which is just to get those payments lower on the commercials, right? Yeah, just to get the payments lower and because people are buying more and more expensive vehicles. I mean, the average purchase price used to be significantly less than it is today, mm-hmm. in America at least, where everyone wants to buy the biggest monster truck known to man. And it's, you know, when when people are buying $70,000 trucks, nobody could afford like the $1,500 payment that you'd have if you wanted that to be a three-year... Right, because it'd be higher than your mortgage easily. easily, And so instead, people are like, oh, how do I get it down to, you know, $400? That seems reasonable. And then you spread it over 10 years. And then if anything happens to that vehicle, you know, you can end up upside down very quickly. So I am somebody who I actually don't even know if we'll ever get auto debt again because I just don't value how expensive a new car is versus buying a used one that I could afford with money in the bank. And I think that's where most people should strive to get if they can is like, I have enough money that I could pay for this car. And then if you go to the dealer and you can get a really good interest rate, like they're, you know, one or 2%, which they offer as promotion sometimes, then great. You can like leave that money in the bank and pay, you know, you can pay your car off. Right. I mean, look at it of the approach of I'm going to let some other sucker take all the, you know, the depreciation of this vehicle. It comes back down to a reasonable area, but still has a lot of like value in the actual vehicle. That's the price you want to buy it for. Right. Right. Exactly. So as I said, we will do a whole episode about auto loans because there's a lot more I could say about those. And then the last one to touch on is mortgage debt. So typically this is the debt that I recommend people retain. And that's because interest rates have been so low on mortgage loans for such a long time that, I mean, I still know of people that have mortgage interest rates in the realm of two to 4%, which is very low. You should keep that as long as you can. Interest rates are climbing again, but still well under 5% for a mortgage loan. Now back in like the 80s, that wasn't the case, but a lot of things were weird about interest in the 80s. So, you know, uh, there were some people who had 12, 18% interest on their mortgage, which in that case, you might want to pay it off faster. Obviously it just comes back down to what that number is. Um, But for now, I would recommend most people You can hang on to your mortgage debt, you know, if you invest the difference. I always say, because Brett and I have gone back and forth on this a lot. So we used to pay off our mortgage more. And then um, I started doing some more math and I was like, you know what, let's just invest it. And if we get to the point where we have enough in investments that we can pay off the balance, then we can consider at that point, do we want to cash in all of our investments to pay this off? Or are we comfortable with where things are? And eventually you kind of get to the point where you realize that your investments have grown enough that they're earning enough compound interest every year that it's basically paying for half of your mortgage or whatever. And then you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, (laughs) I'll leave those over there doing their thing, you know? So, all right. And then, so we kind of talked about it, but yeah, not all debt is bad. So I think there's like this stigma attached to debt of like, oh, it's terrible and you should get rid of it. And I agree with that for... Most people. Most people. Most debt. But if you have mortgage debt and you are not paying it off, or if you have low interest debt and you're not paying it off for a good reason, then, like, you do you. It's fine. Right. Because in the scenario, right, with the mortgage, if you have a less than 3% mortgage, you're you basically, at this point, you could make that money back with almost a savings account. So if you invested in it, literally any other actually good investment opportunity, you're going to come out ahead in that scenario, right? Right. So you're getting you're basically getting paid instead of giving that money away, that money is paying you back like 50 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month or whatever, right? Uh, more than you giving away, you know, 
100 bucks a month. Yep. So what what are some of the other incentives, though, for having debt? Like taxes, I know, and tax season's coming up here. So Ooh, that, that gets God, real tricky. You asked, that. like, the million-dollar question because, like, they just changed the entire tax structure, and I'm still wrapping my brain around it. <laughs> but... That's what you get for the trivia questions. Now with how high they raise the standard deduction, you're getting... It's going to get harder for your itemized to beat that out, right? Mm -hmm. So... The the standard was ra- the standard deduction was doubled I believe, um, and so it's at like twelve thousand dollars per single person now. So twenty four thousand married couple I believe. Uh, don't quote me on that. Like I said, haven't wrapped my brain around it. But it's so if you're paying interest on a mortgage that's two hundred thousand dollars, you're probably paying about five to six thousand dollars in interest a year on that. Well, if you have that, and then maybe you have. Um, so you also have an auto loan. That doesn't get deducted. Still, oh, it doesn't? Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, student loan interest does, but it doesn't count as a deduction. It counts as a credit. So okay. It's a separate separate com- uh, line item. Yeah, it's a separate thing, separate input. So it's getting harder to get your deductions like over that threshold anyways. So where, so where a lot of people make arguments of like, well, I'm going to keep my mortgage loan you know, for the deduction. That's not as good that's not as strong of an argument anymore now that they've changed that. Right, because so. unless, you're, unless you're paying $12,000 or more in your mortgage and maybe some other areas, probably not donations or any, right? Um, you're still you're still under the cap and you're still just going to have to take the default anyway. Right. So it doesn't matter whether you paid $12,000 in your mortgage or $0 in your mortgage, you're still taking the default. Yep, and there's no tax benefits that I know of for auto loans or credit cards the exception there might be if you bought like an energy efficient vehicle but again that's typically a credit and not a deduction right so um credits if you don't know they apply regardless deductions is where you have to get over that like twelve thousand dollar hurdle so honestly you know unless interest rates got to the point on mortgages where they were like 10 percent, it's going to be hard for the average population to see like that amount of money anyways and if they get that high I'm probably going to tell you to pay it off still anyways, because even though you're getting a deduction on it, you're still not coming out ahead at the end of the day. You know, you're just paying a little bit less in taxes. But mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that covered almost everything. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, 401k debt. Is there a reason that I would take out debt if I didn't have any? You are really trying to get me back for these (laughs) trivia questions. So that's a very loaded question. And we talked about it a little bit on our uh, episode last week where we talked about the government shutdown and why people might take, you know, 401k debt out. And unless you have a really good reason to take that out and then pay it off very, very quickly, leave it alone. And especially for the average person, like, I actually was reading an article the other day about retirement balances in America, and they are still not where they should be. So I don't want to give anybody the advice to tap into that savings um, unless you really, really know what you're doing and have a good cushion in your 401k. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we can take a whole episode and talk about like different investment strategies. Once you've paid off all your debt, is there a reason that you would in, you know, invest in other areas or take out debt in other areas for good investment opportunities? But that's a, you know, that's for most people, they're not at that point yet, right? Yeah, I think we could make five more episodes on debt before we get there. <laughs> but 
I like the enthusiasm. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Um, Keep in mind that it is February, so we're doing two episodes a week. So instead of talking to you next week, we will be talking to you in just a couple days. All right. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.